All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Rich. It is so good to have you out this morning. Uh, I don't know how you answered that question, uh, but for me growing up, I, I grew up believing that vulnerability was dangerous. Um, I grew up in Canada, which means as a kid, I played ice hockey. Um, if you've never seen ice hockey before, it's a lot of fast-moving people on ice skates. It's a lot of hard hits. There's little tiny hard objects flying everywhere that could hurt you. And so what you would do is uh, you didn't want to be vulnerable. You didn't want to be exposed. So you would cover up shoulder pads, elbow pads, uh, knee pads, helmet, and the most important piece of equipment of all, the jock strap. You did not want to be exposed because being vulnerable was just way too dangerous. Um, when I got married, my belief uh, that vulnerability was dangerous actually didn't go away. It actually grew. Um, if you've been in our church for any length of time, um, you've heard me share about my former gambling addiction. Uh, I literally wasted hundreds of hours, thousands of dollars on online gambling. Poker was my game. Um, lots, of, lots of time, lots of money. And Becky had no idea that I was losing all these thousands of dollars. And along with, with this, I carried a guilt. I carried a ton of shame. And there came a point where I desperately wanted to be free from all this. But I knew that in order for me to be free, it was going to require the V word, vulnerability. I'd have to tell Becky the truth. I'd have to expose my weakness, that, and this would be dangerous. Um, us guys in particular don't like exposing weakness. We like to look like we're strong, like we've got it all together. And I had no idea what would be waiting on the other side of my vulnerability. And as scary and, and as hard as vulnerability is, it's something that none of us, not one single person in this room can avoid in life. All of us, on some level, daily face the choice to be vulnerable or to hide. Saying hi to that, that new kid in the desk beside yours, that requires vulnerability. Telling your spouse, I love you, or hey, things in our marriage aren't going so well, we need to get help. That's vulnerability. Putting on a swimsuit, vulnerability. Showing up at a life group or celebrate recovery, vulnerability. In fact, even just this morning, I was thinking about this this week, the, the, the amount of vulnerability that, that happens even on a Sunday. And even just today, I have seen vulnerability all over the place. Um, we had a pre-service prayer time like we do every Sunday. We pray for you. We pray that God speaks to you and moves in your life. During that pre-service prayer time, you know what that requires? Praying out loud, it requires vulnerability. Who knows what everybody's thinking, right? Are they thinking, man, he sure doesn't know how to pray? Are they thinking, man, that person sure is being showy? We don't know. We don't, it's, it's vulnerability. Showing up to church requires vulnerability. Will people ignore me? Will they question why I'm here? Will I fit in? Will I know what to do? What if, some, what, what if I do something that's out of place, out of order? Or what if they know what I'm, I'm really like and I'm unable to find belonging? I see vulnerability in those, those who are serving on a Sunday. Standing on stage with a guitar and a microphone is a vulnerable position to be in. Shaking somebody's hand at the front door that you've never met before, vulnerability. Uh, welcoming a new kid into Kids Rock or Adventureland, vulnerability. All these require vulnerability. And this morning, as we, we're going to dive into this topic of vulnerability, because it's all tied, and this is part two of last week's message. We're in a series right now called Set Free, 
and we're looking at what it, what it looks like to be free in Christ, how, how Jesus came to set us free, and how who the Son sets free, the Bible says is free indeed. And so as we're going through the series, last week we, we started part one of kind of like a series within the series on shame. And last week we really dove into the topic of shame, and this is, this is the part two of that, where we're going to be looking at this topic of vulnerability. And as we go into it this morning, we're going to be hearing a lot about two different ladies. Uh, both of these ladies know a lot about shame and vulnerability. The first lady's name is Brene Brown. Has anybody here heard of Brene Brown? You've read a book, you've read, seen a, a video or something like that. Um, Brene Brown is a shame and vulnerability researcher. She's been doing this for about 20 years. And uh, 10 years ago, nobody knew who, who Brene Brown was. Uh, she was uh, um, uh, invited to speak at this TED Talk in her hometown of Texas for about 500 people or so. And uh, public speaking at that time, this is 2010, it was nothing new to Brene Brown. She'd been doing speaking uh, in different places about her research. And the title of this particular TED Talk um, was uh, this. It was The Power of Vulnerability. And as she describes it, she decided that rather than, typically when she would get up to, to speak, she would kind of hide behind the armor of her, just, just her degrees and all of her, her research language. This lady has a lot of letters behind her name. She's super smart. And so typically she would get up and kind of hide behind the, the, the research language. But this time, in 2010, she decided that she was going to kind of practice what she was going to preach and be vulnerable. And when she had done, as she describes it, she had a vulnerability hangover. You ever have one of these? You just decide, okay, I'm going to be real with somebody. I'm just going to open up. I'm going to share about something that I did. Or I'm just going to be, be real about how I feel with somebody. And then after you do that, you're like, crap, what the heck did I just do? And you kind of have this, this vulnerability hangover. And so she's describing this, and as she's having this vulnerability hangover, she's thinking to herself about how glad she is that that's over, and about how she's never going to go and be that vulnerable ever again. It's just too exposing. She's going to go back to how she used to do it before with all of her intellectual research mumbo-jumbo language. What she didn't realize at the time is that the video was on YouTube. And within weeks, this TED Talk had gone totally viral, and today it's the fifth most viewed TED Talk with 45 million views. She had struck a chord. Shame and vulnerability were way bigger issues than even the researchers realized that they were. And Brene Brown, she describes vulnerability like this. She says, vulnerability, vulnerability is having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. You have the courage to show up and be seen even though you have no idea how it's going to go. Babe, I've lied to you and have squandered thousands of dollars playing poker. No idea how that conversation is going to end. Hi, my name is Rich. I, I can't predict how that's going to go. Offering a gift of yours to somebody. Unpredictable outcome. Sweetheart, our marriage is in a really bad place. No idea where that's going to land. Sharing with a friend. Hey, I feel like nobody on the planet loves me. I just feel like I'm completely worthless. Is that going to be rejection? Is it going to be someone just not even understanding what that means to you? You have no idea. Vulnerability. It's showing up. It's letting yourself be seen with no control of how that's going to go. That's, that's vulnerability. 
The other lady that you're going to be hearing a lot about this morning, she has no name, but she does have an issue. And it's an issue that in her culture, where honor and shame are everything, would have brought her much shame. It was an issue that was, that was well known. In fact, to this day, it's so well known that whenever she's talked about, it's how she's identified. She's known in the Bible as the woman with the issue of blood. And she shows up in Scripture in the book of Mark chapter 5. And what's happening here, a little context, Jesus and this woman, uh, they're about to encounter each other. And as, as typically happened with Jesus, he's surrounded by crowds of people. And the Bible says a large crowd followed and they pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Most women have a regular monthly cycle, not this lady. Hers has lasted 12 years. And just think about this for a minute. Where were you 12 years ago? 12 years ago, I was living in northern BC, working in a sawmill with four kids under eight. Presley hadn't even come along yet. It seems like another lifetime ago, 12 years ago. This woman's issue has lasted that long. That in itself would have been awful, but to make matters worse within this culture and the society that she lives, her condition, her condition makes her marginalized and makes her an outcast in society. You see, this lady is a Jewish lady, and in first century Palestine, her people would have followed Old Testament law. Now, the Old Testament law, it was good um, in that it was meant to protect people, um, to encourage health and hygiene, because way back in the day, there just wasn't a lot of stuff known, research known on health and hygiene. And so God comes along, he gives his people this, this law. But what often happened is that the law became a weapon that people would use to judge. And the laws around this woman and her situation were very clear. It, re- it read like this in the book of Le- Leviticus. Anybody who touches her will be unclean till evening. Now typically what would happen is, is uh, for a, a, a woman is the, the month the cycle would end, she would wait a day, perform a ritual of bathing, and then she would be considered clean again. But for this lady, it never comes to an end, and as defined by the law of the day, for 12 years, she has been considered unclean. No pious Jew would have had any contact with her. Um, she had likely never been married because of her issue, rarely if ever hugged or embraced because of her issue. She would have been confined to solitude pushed to the edges of society as a total outcast. And we can only imagine the depths of her shame. Brene Brown describes shame like this. And if you were here last week, you, you heard this. But she says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something that we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Shame is that inner voice that says something is wrong with you. It makes you believe that that if people only knew that thing about you, they would never want to connect with you. It gets you to believe that, that you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not funny enough. Guilt comes along, and guilt is actually a good thing. Guilt comes along and says, I made a mistake. But shame comes along and says, no, you are a mistake. And do you think that this woman who's had this issue of blood struggles with shame, I can guarantee you 
that she does. A lady named Sandra Wilson, she wrote this, this book titled Released from Shame. And in it, she, she says how when you experience shame, it is as if you are standing alone on one side of a broken bridge while everyone else in the world stares at you from the other side. Is that familiar to anybody in the room? Not only is this woman in our story's physical condition bad, the internal struggle with fear and shame is just as bad, if, if not worse. Is it any wonder that the Bible goes on to say she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse? Anyone ever been in that place before where you're just like, you're struggling with this thing that, that has you bound up, that's shame something that's just this issue, and you've suffered so much because of it that you're going, man, if I could just, I would spend everything I'd have. I would mortgage the house. I would do whatever I could to get rid of this thing. One day, this lady's life uh, is about to change. She hears that Jesus, this, this guy who, who rumor has it has been healing lepers, he's been healing paralytics, he's been, he's been opening blind eyes. She hears that this guy, Jesus, is, is in town. And imagine with me for a minute, what must have been going through this lady's mind? She desperately wants to see Jesus, this miracle worker, so she can be set free. And yet she's thinking, there's no way that I can go in public. What if somebody recognizes me? What will they think? Will they publicly shame me again? Will the rejection be worse than it's ever been? What will Jesus think of me? And yet something inside of her musters the courage to go see Jesus. She hatches a plan. She'll, she'll approach him when the crowd is large enough for her to go and recognize. And the Bible continues saying, when she heard about Jesus, catch what happens here. She, she came up behind him in the crowd. Not in front, because she wants to go unnoticed. And she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. You need to understand what's going on here. This lady is taking a massive risk. It's a massive risk. She should not be in this crowd. And in a crowd, if you've ever been in a crowd before, you can't help but brush against people. In fact, the Bible just describes that's what's happening with Jesus. They're pressed up all around him. And according to the laws of the day, what she's doing is she's in this crowd and she's making a lot of people unclean. If she is discovered, people are going to be irate. She'll have a, just deep embarrassment, humiliation. It'll just be heaped on her. It's going to just be shame, shame, more shame. She would have been terrified of getting caught. And so she thinks, I'm going to go as unnoticeable as possible. I don't even want Jesus to see me. So I'm just going to sneak up behind him. I'm going to touch his clothes. He won't notice. The people won't notice. And because he's so powerful, that'll be enough for me to be healed. And so in desperation, mixed with this courage and this faith, she reaches out and she touches Jesus. And the Bible says immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. It's amazing. Jesus heals her bleeding. It's this miracle. Um, I don't know what it's like to win the lottery because I've never won the lottery, but I imagine whatever it feels like is probably what this lady's feeling in this moment. Just, wow, I can't believe this has happened to me. Well, this is not where the story ends. Jesus still has some work that he wants to do in this lady. You see, the joy that this woman was feeling from being physically healed quickly turns to fear and shame because to her utter shock and her utter, utter dismay, the Bible says at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him 
And he turned around in the crowd, and he asked a question that this lady dreaded hearing. He says, who touched my clothes? Remember, she's not supposed to be in that crowd. She's just made many people unclean. If they see her, they won't care or even likely believe that she's been healed. It'll be nothing but shame and humiliation, the same kind that she's been enduring for the last 12 years. And the disciples, you know the disciples are, they're kind of always like a little bit late to the party and, and uh, whenever Jesus does something, and so they look at Jesus and they say, you see, that? You see the people crowding against you? And yet you ask, who touched, who touched me? Silly Jesus. I mean, come on, Jesus. Stop, stop being a jest. Meanwhile, I imagine that this woman is trying everything she can to just disappear in the crowd. Because that's what, that's what shame does, doesn't it? It just makes you want to, it makes you want to hide. It makes you want to cover up. It says, do whatever you can to disappear. Don't let people see you. Don't let people know you. Just, just, just hide. But to this woman's astonishment, Jesus actually makes it difficult for her to hide. He makes it difficult. The Bible says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He keeps looking. Now, just, just think about this for a minute. I want you to catch what's happening here. Jesus is fully man, and the Bible tells us he's fully God. He knows who touched him. In fact, he knows the shame, the isolation, the suffering that this woman has dealt with for the past 12 years. Why couldn't Jesus just allow this woman to quietly fade off into the crowd and, en and enjoy her physical healing? Why does he want, to ex want her to expose herself? Doesn't he understand that when she identifies herself that she could face further embarrassment and humiliation? Why does he want her to be vulnerable? Here's why. It's because Jesus has done a miracle in this lady, but it's only half of the miracle that Jesus wants to do. He has set her free from physical suffering, now he wants to set her free from all the emotional, spiritual suffering that she's had to endure. She's been shackled by shame, and Jesus wants to set her free. And he knows that in order for her to be set free from, from shame, it's going to require something from this lady. She is going to need to be vulnerable. He knows that the key to unlocking the door to shame is for her to step out of hiding. And, and I love, I love how this lady responds. In that moment, she could have, as Jesus is asking and looking, she, like I said, she could have just drifted off into the crowd and disappeared. She could have snuck back home. Nobody would have ever known that she was there. But instead, in this, just this astounding act of courage, she takes this big risk and steps out of hiding in isolation. The Bible says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. She's trembling because she's terrified of all that could go wrong in that moment. She has no control, no control of the outcome of her vulnerability. But trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Jesus, it was me. Jesus, it was, I've had this issue for the past 12 years. It made me unclean. I knew, Jesus, that I shouldn't be in this crowd. I know I shouldn't have touched all these people. I know that of all people, I shouldn't have touched Jesus. I shouldn't have touched you, a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man. I just, I, I, I know that I made you unclean, Jesus. I just didn't want to suffer anymore. I didn't know what else, what else to do. You know, being vulnerable 
is always scary. But for the person shackled by shame, it's even scarier. Because when the person shackled by shame is vulnerable, most of the time, that shame has you so bound up that the possibility of seeing any positive outcome to your vulnerability is, is impossible to see. All you're capable of seeing is just how bad it could possibly go if, if you come out of hiding. And this woman, I imagine that she's expecting rebuke. She's probably expecting public shaming. The last thing that she's expecting is the reaction she receives from Jesus. The Bible tells us that he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Of all the words that Jesus could have said in that moment, he looks at her and says, Daughter. He doesn't reject her. He doesn't doesn't despise her or push her away. He doesn't send her back to the fringes of society. No, instead, he bestows her with worth, dignity, and value. Becky and I have been uh, watching The Crown a lot lately. Any Crown fans in the room today? All right, all right, yeah. Well, if you never heard of The Crown, uh, it's this, this, this show on Netflix about the British monarchy. And in this, this show um, starts off with, of course, Queen Elizabeth getting uh, uh, coronated in, in that moment where they, they take the crown and they put the crown on her. And you, don't, you, don't, you just don't put a crown on anybody. Like, if you, if you watch the show, you kind of know how the whole thing goes. Like, it's, 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 the crowns are for princes and princesses, right? And, and listen to what the Bible says, though. In Psalm 103, it says, he redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with love and compassion. And this lady in this moment, she experiences in real time what it's like for Jesus to come along, God Almighty, King of Kings, who knows everything from the beginning to the end. He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows everything, and Jesus comes along, and he crowns her with love and compassion. Author and pastor Kevin Butcher, he says, when our vulnerability meets God's love, we are set free from shame. When our vulnerability, our, our coming out of hiding, when that meets God's love, we're set free from shame. Brene Brown, after 20 years of research and thousands of interviews, loads of data, has discovered some, some simple truth about vulnerability. Uh, I don't know about you, but I believe that God... Uh, doesn't just speak through preachers and pastors. I believe God speaks through a lot of different things. I believe God speaks through movies. I also believe that God will raise up people. Um, I don't know if Brene, Brene, Brene Brown's a Christian or not, but I believe God will raise up people because he wants to speak about a particular issue at a particular time in history. And I believe that he's raised up this woman to speak on this important topic. And, and she says a couple things, or a lot of things, about, about vulnerability. And uh, this tr it's truth that's reflected in Scripture. It's truth that's seen in the story about this woman with the issue of blood. Truth that I know can set you free from shame. And, and first thing is this. Vulnerability takes courage. It takes courage. But what it, I'm sure some of the things that you shared at the beginning of this, this sermon with your neighbor, you, you probably thought of vulnerability as weakness. That's, that's all that you've ever known it to be. It's weakness. Uh, but vulnerability, it, think about it, it takes courage. Uh, 
to think that it's, it's weakness, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, showing up at Celebrate Recovery on a Thursday night with a group of people and saying, here's my stuff. That takes courage. Telling your spouse that your marriage is struggling and you, you guys need, you need help. Courage. Opening up with a, a trusted friend or family member about some abuse that you received in the past. That takes courage. Stepping into a hostile crowd to receive healing from Jesus, that's courage. Leaving yourself exposed and not being able to control the outcome, that's not, that's not weakness. That's courage. Second, second thing is this. You can't go it alone. You know, the lie of the enemy since the Garden of Eden it, it has been high. Adam and Eve take that bite of the apple. What's the first thing that they, they do? They go into hiding. They, get, they hide behind the bushes and they, 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 they cover themselves up. And, and the lie is, is go into isolation. You've got this. You don't need anybody besides people will hurt you. Don't be vulnerable. Don't be authentic. You just, you, you put on the armor, strap it on, you, you cover yourself up. But the truth is you can't go alone. You, you have been made in the image of a relational God. You were designed, you were wired for authentic connection where you can be yourself, be the person that God's created you to be, and still be accepted. This connection, it, it, doesn't, it does not happen without vulnerability. Vulnerability takes courage. You can't go it alone. Third thing is this. You need to be vulnerable in order to build trust. You see, the myth is that trust comes before vulnerability. And, and it goes like this. I'm not going to be vulnerable until I really, really, really know I can trust this person. But that's not how it works. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. He says, you know how you can trust somebody? You trust them. You trust them. You open up. You share. You be you. And, and yes, that will not always lead to the outcome that you're hoping it will lead to. That, that vulnerability, I mean, people might use that against you. But that, that, that's, the, that's the risk. That's, that's where courage comes in. It, it's, it's, it's opening up. And, and the, the lie of the enemy is don't trust anybody. No, nobody can be trusted. But you know how you can trust somebody. You trust them. And, and to be vulnerable is, is to build trust. And, and the opposite, here's, here's the opposite, the only other choice for you. It's just to not trust. It's to hide. It's to isolate. It's to bury your heart. C.S. Lewis puts it best. He says this. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your, your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. You need to be vulnerable in order to build trust. Next thing, the last thing is this. I love how Brene Brown puts it. It's, it's so beautiful. She says, vulnerability is the birthplace of joy, belonging, and love. It's the birthplace. Shame is that deep feeling that you are unworthy of connection. Uh, when you come out of hiding, though, uh, like this 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 woman did with Jesus, when you're real about who you are and you allow yourself to be seen, it is the beginning of joy and belonging on a level 
that you never felt possible, never believed possible, but, but in order to experience this, you have to be vulnerable. And when our vulnerability meets God's love, it, it, it brings freedom from shame. Vulnerability, it lets the love of God, it lets, it lets the love of other people in, but because we're scared of the humiliation and the embarrassment and the rejection, rather than choose vulnerability, you know what we tend to choose? We tend to choose a mask. You know what the opposite of, of vulnerability is? It's fitting in. It's fitting in. It's you, you, you come into the room and you, you analyze who's there. You calculate what you need to do to, be, to, to fit in and, and, and not to be seen for who you really are. What you do is you, you put on a mask. And, 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 and in the church, I mean, are we ever notorious for putting on the mask? Because we want to look like we've got it all together. And we're followers of Jesus. We're living, doing everything right. A couple weeks ago, I was at this uh, training that came at a very a good time in light of this series. And in this, this training, uh, there was this, the title of the training was, was uh, Healing from Shame. And in this training, there was me and probably about 15 other pastors. And the guy that was leading the training, he had us do this little exercise with this, these little masks. And on the front side of the mask, he had us write down, uh, what I'm trying to get you to believe about me. What I'm trying to get you to believe about me. And on the back side of the mask, he has to write down the truth about me. Now, I'm not going to read my whole mask to you this morning. But on the front side, here's, here's some of the stuff that I, I want you to believe about me. I have it all together. Because I'm a leader. And leaders have it all together. I want you to believe that I'm prepared. I know where we need to go. I've got the future perfectly mapped out. I, I know exactly what it's going to take to reach our city and, and to do everything that God's calling us to do. I want you to believe that. I want you to believe that, that I don't have periods of time where I don't want to read my Bible. And pastors, don't you wake up every morning and you just like, you're, you're looking for the closest Bible? I want you to believe that about me. I want you to believe that me and Becky have a great marriage and we never fight. As, as Becky goes in the front row. The truth about me. Man, I have questions. I question sometimes whether or not I'm even, I've missed my calling in life. Um, I have a list, a really long list of all the things I need to be doing better. And sometimes this list crushes me. Uh, here's one. My house and vehicles are often really messy. I want you to think that I've got, it's all tidied, place for everything and everything in its place. Um, at the time I put this down, uh, I wrote this down, I, I, in the previous 48 hours, I'd only had six hours of sleep because I just was so anxious and worried about the future. You see, what we do is we put up these masks. Here's what I want you to believe about me. We try to fit in. And we, we, just don't, we don't want people to know the, the real us. But it's when we step out from behind the mask and go, here's me. And we're just, we're okay with being seen. We have the courage to do that. 
that's when you begin to, to, to let God's love in and you begin to let the love of people in on a whole new level. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, 25. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. What would happen if you let the mask down? What, would ha- what could happen if you let the mask down? And, and understand if, this morning, I am not standing up here and saying that this is easy to do. No, this takes courage. It is hard. Remember the red face thing I talked about last week? I had this issue as a teenager, red face all the time. Just caused me so much shame and embarrassment. I didn't talk about that for 15 years. Vulnerability, it is, it is so hard. But what would happen if you let the mask down? Here's what I, I can tell you. You at least have a chance at freedom, a chance at opportunity or an opportunity to let God's love in his life, in his healing, in his freedom come into your life. You'd have a chance. What would happen if you took the mask down? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I just love that God is followers of you. God, we... Yeah, there's uncertainty behind vulnerability, and, and yeah, there's, there's questions. We don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't know if it's going to be rejection. We don't know if people are just going to look at us differently. We don't know if they're going to take that moment of vulnerability and just kind of like dismiss it as not being nearly as important to them as it is to us. God, we have no idea, but God, we do know with you what waits us on the other side of vulnerability. You look at us like you did this woman in the story and you love us unconditionally. You look at us and you say, daughter. You look at us and you say, son. You, and then you crown us with love and compassion. Father, we know that in you. And Lord, I, God, I know that there are those in this room, God, that have been shackled by shame. They've been shackled by uh, just this debilitating feeling that they're unworthy of love. They're unworthy of connection. There are some who have been shackled with that for months. There are some who have been shackled with that for years. Others in here have been shackled with that for decades. And God, this morning, you want them to hear that you can be free. You want them to hear, Father, that, that God, you, you, you love them and you care so, so, so much about them. So, Father, I pray that, that Lord, God, men, women, students, God, in this room would, would have the courage to be vulnerable, have the courage to be real. And, and to, to let you into their hearts, into, into their stories, and God, to let, let others into their hearts and into their stories, into all the messiness, all the brokenness, God, of their story. God, and in that, I pray that they would find healing. God, it says in your word that above all things, love one another fervently, for love covers a multitude of sins. And Father, I pray, God, for us as a church, that we would be the kind of church that when people are just real and vulnerable, God, about their story, no matter how broken that is, God, I pray that we be the kind of church that on the other side of their vulnerability is just they're ready to love like you love us. Help us to be that kind of people, I pray. Help us, I pray, Jesus. Help us, I pray. Amen.